It's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Black History Month. Black History Sports Month. Moments in Black History in Sports. On the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. So stay tuned and enjoy. Moments in Black History and Sports on the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast as we dive into some black history to start this segment off. Hope you enjoy it. Some facts that you may not know about things that transpired in the NFL. On my earlier podcast, I shed light on first two African-American coaches coaching the Super Bowl, guaranteeing that one would win. Then, of course, there was the story about Doug Williams, the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl. However, Doug Williams was far from the first black quarterback to ever play in the NFL. That distinction would go to Marlon Briscoe, African-American pioneer. On September the 29th, 1960, Denver Broncos sent rookie Marlon Briscoe into action at quarterback with just under 10 minutes to play in the home opener against the Boston Patriots. 14th round draft pick nicknamed The Magician wasted little time completing his first pro pass when he immediately hooked up on a 22-yard to Eric Crabtree. Following drive, Briscoe directed the Denver, Bron- the Denver offense on an 80-yard drive capped by his brilliant 12-yard touchdown run. Briscoe made history that day by becoming the first African-American to play quarterback in the American Football League. He furthered his legacy one week later when he started at quarterback against the Cincinnati Bengals. By taking over the reins for the Broncos, Briscoe became the first African-American starting quarterback in modern pro football history. 
At season's end, he had passed for 1,589 yards and threw a team rookie record 14 touchdowns. His season-long pass completion was a 66-yarder to running back Floyd Little, according to accounts of the play. The pass traveled nearly 60 60 yards in the air to Little. Briscoe also rushed 41 times for 308 yards and scored three TDs during the 68 season. Briscoe's stay in Denver and at quarterback at the quarterback position ended when he was dealt to the Buffalo Bills in 1969. Buffalo moved him to wide receiver, a position he had never played before. Briscoe made the most of the opportunity as he hauled in 32 passes, 532 yards, and five TDs in his first season with the Bills. The following year, he recorded the finest season of his nine-year pro career. He eclipsed the 1,000-yard mark as he led the Bills in receiving with 57 catches for 1,036 yards and scored eight TDs. For his efforts, Briscoe was named All-AFC, earned second-team All-NFL honors, and was voted to the Pro Bowl. He registered another fine season in 1971, before the Bills shipped him to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for a first-round draft pick, which the Bills used to draft future Hall of Fame guard Joe DeLaMuller. Briscoe continued to produce in Miami. Although the Dolphins ran a ball control offense, he managed to catch 16 passes and scored four TDs during the Dolphins' undefeated season in 1972. Briscoe added another 30 catches the following year as he and the Dolphins earned their second straight Super Bowl championship. He wrapped up his career as a member of the San Diego Chargers and Detroit Lions in 1975 and one final year with the New England Patriots in 1976. In all, Briscoe had 224 career catches for 3,053 yards and scored 30 touchdowns. He also scored 30 touchdowns. He also passed 1,697 yards and 14 TDs and rushed 49 times for 336 yards and 3 TDs. So, that's how we open up today's segment of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, giving you some black history that you may have known about, or maybe you haven't known about it, or maybe you've known about it and have forgotten about it. But this is in the history books. And if it's in the sports history books, shall I say. If it's not in the history books, maybe it should be. If you don't know your history, how can you get to where you're going? In other words, sometimes you have to look back to see where you came from in order to know where you are going. So today's Black History feature highlight is that of one Marlon Briscoe. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to pause and take a break. And when I come back, I'm going to keep this theme of Black History Sports going on a little bit longer. So stay tuned. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. 
You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome back to my next segment of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast as we go heavy today on black history and sports. And we are particularly going to look at one individual. I did open my segment talking about Marlon Briscoe, and now we're going to get an extensive look into Marlon Briscoe as to how the magician was Born. As the sounds of melodic Linda Doolittle resonate in the background with lift every voice and sing as we bring you this story. Briscoe's path from packing houses to the prose. In 1968, a small quarterback from Omaha, Nebraska, took the field for the Broncos and made history as modern American football's first black starting quarterback. He dazzled and delighted crowds at Mile High, High. but a year later, he was gone from Denver. As we celebrate Black History Month, we're taking a closer look at the life and legacy of Marlon Briscoe. Today, we begin with this path from housing projects outside Omaha's packing houses, to the cusp of pro football. From his home in South Omaha, on a hill overlooking the meat packing plant and his stockyards, a young Marlon Briscoe could see one future before him. For thousands of workers, the stockyard and the assortment of packing houses held something rare. Good money for pretty much anyone willing to take the job. In the late 1800s, and the first half of the 1900s that generated waves of migration from around the country by immigrants and African-Americans alike, all seeking better lives for themselves and their children. For millions of steer, pigs, sheep, and other animals, the stockyard held something else altogether. A hungry nation in the midst of a post-World War II baby boom yearned for sustenance, and they had a significant role in providing it. The Union Stockyard's yearly receipts show it processed 6,764,140 animals in 1955, as Dirk Chatelaine noted in the Omaha World World Herald. It was big business, the backbone of the city's economy. By the time Briscoe turned 10 in 1955, Omaha had overtaken Chicago as the world's largest livestock market and meatpacking center. On a bridge near the Union Stockyards, the company proudly championed the newfounds, the city's newfound claim to fame for all passerby to see. The work was gruesome, of course. It assaulted the census, whether you were on the killing floors in the packing house or whether you were out in the stockyard. 
There was the smell of thousands of animals packed together in the manure they produced. The smoke, the slaughterhouses manufactured, and the waste the plants made. It all combined to form one of those foul odors that you would have had to experience to understand. The smell of money, as it would come to be called, made South Omahaans like Briscoe the target of ridicule. But Briscoe noted that no one was too proud to avoid the drive down there on Fridays to pick up their checks. That $200 a week was good money. And for black workers, it was some of the only work available to them. According to Shada Lane, about half of all black workers in the city committed to South Omaha that year. Briscoe was willing to do the hard work, and he eventually would for a little while. But he yearned for more. It would make you make a decision about your life, Briscoe says now. I said, there's no way in the world I'm getting my education. There's no way in the world I was going to work in the packing house the rest of my life. That decision, as it turned out, changed the course of his life and pro football. Without a magic box, there would be no magician. The box full of sports equipment belonged to Bob Rose, Briscoe's cousin. Rose was a fourth grade teacher at Omaha's Howard Kennedy Elementary School during most of the year, a packing plant worker during the other months, and a youth sports coach in the community year-round. At some point in Briscoe's childhood, around the age of nine, his mother enlisted Rose to teach him how to play a variety of sports. One day during Rose's lunch break from the packing plant, school teachers stopped by with this box, filled with boxing gloves, baseball bats, and various balls. The box, which Briscoe fondly calls the magic box, opened his eyes to a new world. Perhaps more than anything, Briscoe took to throwing. He committed himself to the skill, often taking the football to the front of his house. Time after time, he aimed for the thin tree out front. At first, he couldn't hit it, but his accuracy improved, and the young quarterback began to shape himself in the mold of the best quarterback he had seen on television, the man with the golden arm. I used to watch John Unitas, and he was the leader of the team, and he was revered by his, by his players. And so that gave me the desire to play quarterback, Briscoe says. I even went out and got high-top shoes that my cousin gave me. They were old and raggedy because we couldn't afford to buy any shoes. Regardless, they brought him just a little bit closer to his idol. In watching pro football on TV, though, Briscoe noticed that there weren't any black quarterbacks. Still, he was not discouraged from chasing the dream. In fact, soon he started playing the position competitively. After all the time building his arm and his confidence, Briscoe decided to try out for the local youth team. And he was set on playing quarterback. Some of his neighbors tagged along just to see if he'd get the chance. Even though the league was integrated, just like the packing plant workforce was, the sport largely typecast black players according to stereotypes and assigned positions. Briscoe was pushed up against this even at a young age. When he arrived at the park, coach directed the children to separate into groups by the position they wanted to play. 
I ran over when he said quarterbacks over here, Briscoe says. So I went and ran to the quarterback line and he looked at me all strange. He thought that was a strange request from a little black kid to want to play quarterback. When they went to separate the different positions, no black kid had ever gone to the quarterback line. So he came over to me. Hey, son, don't you want to go to this line? Or what about that line over there? I said, no, sir. I want to go to quarterback line. He looked at me, but he never disputed it. Briscoe soon got the chance to prove himself on the field. And the coach quickly became a believer. He had us throw the ball, and he got to me, and he saw me throw, Briscoe says. He said, can you do that again? Yes, sir. So he had me throw. And when he saw me run and all this stuff, then he saw me run and all this stuff. But he liked the way I threw the ball. So he said, okay, you're a quarterback. So what I'm going to do right here, I'm going to come back and give you more of this story. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I'll be right back with more of this story. Oh, make another the magician, Marlon Briscoe. Slaughtered out from the gloomy past till now we stay. Hi, this is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. segment and I am highlighting Marlon Briscoe. This is Black History Month. Lift every voice and sing. So some of you may have jogged your memory like, hey, I remember seeing him play back in the day. Maybe some of y'all remember seeing him play and forget that he played quarterback. And to some, maybe this is a first. You never knew anything about him. But we're going to dive back into this story. This is part two. As sounds of BB Winans and Victory Voice plays in the background, we will get back into this making of a magician. Those paying attention to the Midget Football League's box scores that day could see that the 12-year-old Briscoe had a nice game for his Latikos team against the Mainliners. Briscoe helped lead a 48-0 route 
the 12-yard touchdown pass and two touchdown runs on a 50-yard sweep and a five-yard plunge. Over the next several years, Briscoe became a name to track in Omaha Youth Sports. In 1957, Ladikos earned a second-place finish in their league. The next year, Briscoe threw two touchdowns to lead Highland School to a championship in a flag football league. As he entered the high, as he entered the high school Letterman ranks, though, Briscoe didn't have a clear path at the position at Omaha South High School. Another player his age, Joe Barinas, was noted for his accuracy as a quarterback. Though, the World Herald also said Briscoe adds savvy at quarterback. Two quarterbacks, one black and one white. Aside from race, the two were quite similar. The World Herald put both at 5'8", with just 15 pounds separating the two in weight. That 1961 season, the two juniors split time at the position. But for their senior year, Briscoe was asked to move to running back to replace their previous star halfback, who had just graduated. Briscoe was happy to do what was best for the team, but it rankled some in his neighborhood who wondered if there was more to it than just talent evaluation. I always had confidence in my ability, Briscoe says. So I went on and played running back my senior year and went on to make all city and we won our division that year. So that was satisfying. My neighborhood thought it was a racist move because they knew that Joe and I would switch off through the years, our adolescent years, but I was going to do it for the good of the team. Still, even though Briscoe didn't feel the sting of racism in that decision or in his days as a high school player, he could feel it when he stepped off the field and returned to life simply as a black teenager. That season, Briscoe played perhaps his finest game, scoring two touchdowns and recording two interceptions as a defensive back as he helped South break a 12-game losing streak to their rivals who were rated as Nebraska's top prep team. Afterward, Briscoe later recalled in an associate press story, he went to a bowling alley to grab a bite to eat. When we beat the number one team in the state, I tried to get a sandwich there with the white guy, Briscoe said. The man refused to serve me. He put the sandwich in the sack and gave it to me outside. Even at a young age, he seemed to be accustomed to such discrimination. You just know how it is because told the AP's Mike Rathit. But I never let it worry me. There are good people and bad. My way is to show people what I am by performance. In essence, that's what it's all about. His performance that season certainly drew admiration from his peers and coaches from around the city as they voted to name Briscoe one of the 11 best players on the World Herald's 1962 All-Inner-City Team. An exceptional runner, this little fellow, 5'9", 165 pounds, put the real sting into the South attack. Don Lee wrote for the paper. A former quarterback, he was an expert passer, able to break up a game with a flip or two. But Briscoe didn't view himself as a former quarterback. 
just a temporary running back. He had agreed to play halfback for the good of his team for that season. Now that it was over, he wanted to return to the position he had otherwise played his whole life, but he didn't receive many suitors. Nobody would offer me a scholarship because they wanted me to play running back, and I wasn't going to play running back, Frisco says. I said, I want to play quarterback. So Al Caniglia, Al Caniglia, the coach at Omaha University at the time, he came over to my house and he said, listen, I'll give you two things. I'll give you two things I'll do for you. First of all, you'll get an education. You'll get a diploma and you can play quarterback. That's all I need to hear. Caniglia appeared to be a rarity in Briscoe's world, someone who saw his talent and potential as a quarterback and someone who didn't care about the predominant way of thinking about what a quarterback should look like or how they should play. Al Caniglia was known as being certainly progressive for his time. Chaitlaine of the World Herald says, Omaha University was not a dominant football program. I don't think they ever made any deep postseason runs or anything like that. But they were pretty progressive, and it wasn't just the football program. The wrestling program on campus had the first African-American coach at a predominantly white university in the country. So Omaha University was always sort of a progressive, activist type of place. And I think that's one of the reasons Marlon got a shot. I mean, he was only like 5'9", 5'10", so he probably wasn't like a natural Division I quarterback prospect. But I think Omaha and Coniglia recognized that he could really play. It didn't take long for Marlon to receive the nickname that he would carry for the rest of his life. After spending his freshman year backing up Omaha University's all-conference senior quarterback, the magician entered the fray as a sophomore and immediately earned first-team honors on the Central Intercollegiate Conference's all-star team. As the conference's leader in total offense, according to a story in the Gateway University student newspaper, Briscoe continued his ascension during his senior season, during his junior season, and leading Omaha to a conference title. He set new school records, 11 passing yards, and total yardage, and was named an honorable mention for the Associated Press Little All-American team. As he neared his final collegiate season, pro football scouts started to take note of the rising star. Even then, they started to whisper about Briscoe's chance to break the color barrier at quarterback in the pros. Amazingly, Briscoe also apparently drew interest from the MLB too, despite not playing the sport during any of his years at the university, the World Herald reported. The Pittsburgh Pirates held a tryout in 1966 in nearby Papillion, Nebraska. One of Briscoe's friends encouraged him to join in, and even though Briscoe originally didn't intend to take part in the workout, by the end of the session, the Pirates offered him a contract. Naturally, he declined. Pro sports world, all of it, would have to wait. Briscoe missed most of the 66 season with a fractured vertebrae that could have ended his entire football career. Only after being granted eligibility for a fifth year because of the injury was he able to return for his senior season in 1967. And like any good performer, the magician saved his best feats for last. In his senior season, 
Briscoe was able to fully unleash his fantastic arm. He began the season by throwing for a school record 356 yards against North Dakota State and finished it by holding on by holding nearly two dozen school records, according to the World Herald. That included new marks for single-season passing yards, single-season passing touchdowns, and single-season total yardage, as well as several career yardage and scoring records. Briscoe capped his college football days with selections as an NAIA All-American, a unanimous all-conference selection, and the World Herald's State College Athlete of the Year. He had been the school's most prolific player in school in his school in his history, the stuff of legends, as he prepared to leave college behind. It seemed like he would soon turn pro upside down. That is, if he would get the chance to continue playing quarterback. So, what this here is, is basically in two parts. The first part of making of a magician, of a magician. Part two will come in the days to come. How Marlon Briscoe broke the AFL's color barrier. So what I'm going to do right here is I'm going to take another break. And when I come back, I will have something on tap as to what that will be. Just like me, you'll have to wait till I come back from this break and we'll soon find out. You listen to the A Train Sports Talk podcast. Happy Black History Month. The A Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith, wanting to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener. So if you want to advertise or sponsor a segment, simply reach out to me at 316 553 2010 or hit me up at A. TrainSportsTalk at gmail.com to get your ad or sponsorship ran on this podcast. Once again, a Train Sports Talk podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. The Coach's Corner is sponsored by The Health Connection, the best choice for alternative medicine and holistic healing. The Health Connection has two locations in Wichita, Kansas, 1709 West Douglas Avenue and 3101 North Rock Road, Suite 170. And they also have a third location at 1001 North Rose Hill Road in Rose Hill, Kansas. Check them out on the web at thehealthconnection.online or give them a call 316-841-0003. Back to the show. Choo-choo. 
Coppin State, Laura Harper has the Eagles hitting with a 3-2 conference record, 9-9 overall for the season. Respectable numbers in her second year as head women's basketball coach. Respectable only if you don't know how, well, the recent history at Coppin. They're amazing numbers if you do. You see, those nine wins are just one fewer than the last three seasons combined. We'll say, yeah, but you can't ignore the hard turnaround the program has made under her leadership. Leadership that was honed as a player during her time at Maryland. She won a national championship with the Terps and credits Brenda Freeze, almost exclusively with showing her the path to follow as a coach. When I asked her about this job initially, I was like, well, what do you think? You know, like it's going to be really, really hard. And a lot of people say it's not a good job. And she said, absolutely, it's a good job because you're going to be the coach. And it was one of those things that you're right. You know, like you never realize how sometimes you just need someone to tell you that. Yeah, that's right. I can't believe it. Coming up to the last segment. Hope you've enjoyed the ride thus far. As this is Black History Month, and it is the best I can do is give you as much Black History sports as I can. Things you may have known, or things you may not have known. Now I'm going to end the show on an abbreviated version of what I call the Coach's Corner. So normally I am interviewing a coach, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to share the spotlight on a coach. All I have to do is reach out to her. And she appears to be more than willing to join me on the train. Her name is Laura Harper. I know some of you have never heard of her, but she is the women's basketball coach at Coppin State. She is a former college All-American, having played her college ball at Maryland University under Coach Freeze. Played in the WNBA. And since I said this is an abbreviated Coach's Corner. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set the stage let you know a little bit about her. That way when she joins me, you'll know something about her when she comes on. I'm pretty sure she's going to have some stories to tell because uh, as you heard the little news clip that Coppin State at the time of that news clip they had won their ninth game. And they were working on win number 10. Now, what's so telling about that? Prior to, they had only won three games the previous three seasons, according to the news report. So that goes to tell you what Laura Harper has done as far as resurrecting that basketball program. And like when she says she went to her coach, her former college coach, you know, quite naturally, you're going to have those doubts until the coach said, that's the right job because you're the one that's going to be coaching that team. So let me give you a little bit of background on her in my abbreviated edition of the Coach's Corner. 
which of course is sponsored by the Health Connection. Got to put that plug in because she pays on a monthly basis. So I got to give Natalie Greenlee at the Health Connection that plug. This Coach's Corner is sponsored by the Health Connection with three locations to serve you. Two of them in Wichita, one on uh, at 1701 West Douglas, 3101 North Rock Road, Suite 170, and also a third location in Rose Hill, Kansas at 101 North Rose Hill Road. So stop by the Health Connection and pick up all of your alternative and holistic healing needs at the Health Connection. That's THC, the Health Connection. Tell Natalie Greenlee that the Adrian Anthony Smith sent you. Anyway, Laura Harper, former NBA player, was announced as the head coach of the Coppin State University women's basketball team back on July 20th, 2020. Since the conclusion of her playing career, Harper worked as an assistant coach at four NCAA Division I institutions, as well as a season as head coach at a top collegiate preparatory school prior to taking over at CSU. Harper most recently served as head coach at Montverde Academy, one of the premier high school programs in the state of Florida. Harper guided the Eagles to an 18-6 mark during the 2018-19 season and helped all five of her seniors earn NCAA Division I scholarships. Prior to her time at Monteverde, Harper assisted the women's basketball team at the University of Florida for two seasons. Under Harper's tutelage, Paulina Hersler, who is now playing professionally in Sweden, and 1,200-point scorer Haley Lorenzen had careers had career years as seniors. Before moving to the Sunshine State, Harper spent the 2016-17 season at George Washington University under Women's Basketball Hall of Famer Jennifer Rosati. That season, the Colonials won the Atlantic 10 regular season championship and advanced to the WNIT while Harper helped post players like Lexi Martins and Sierra Washington receive all-conference honors. For two years, Harper also worked as an assistant coach at High Point University. In her first season, senior Stacia Robertson was named the Big South Player of the Year and an Associated Press honorable mention All-American before going to play overseas. The Panthers won 20 games during the 2014-15 season and advanced to the conference championship game. Harper got her start in coaching as an assistant at Loyola University, Maryland, during the 2013-14 campaign, where she was responsible for the post-player development, scouting, and served as an academic liaison for the Greyhounds. A four-year standout at the University of Maryland, Harper was named the 2006 NCAA Final Four Most Outstanding Player after leading the Terrapins to a national championship. Harper was also part of two Maryland teams that advanced to the Elite Eight, a 2007 Naismith Award finalist, and two-time Naismith Award preseason candidate. As a senior, Harper was a third-team All-ACC honoree and Associated Press Honorable Mention All-American. Harper still owns the Maryland record with 198 block shots while scoring 1,407 points and ranked seventh in rebounds upon graduation upon being named to the 2014 ACC Legends class. On February 5, 2009, Harper's number 15 jersey was, re- was raised to the Raptors at the Xfinity Center following a game against North Carolina State. Also, a presence on the national scene, Harper was a starter for the 2004 USA Women's Under-18 team, 
which won the gold medal in the FIBA Americans Championship. Harper also played for the 2007 FIBA Under-21 World Championship team and was a teammate of Lisa Leslie, Diana Taurasi, and other Olympians at the 2008 Good Luck Beijing Tournament. I bet no one beat that team. Woo! I mean, just look at the loaded talent on that team. Lisa Leslie, Diana Taurasi, just to name a few. Following her collegiate career, Harper was the 10th overall selection of the Sacramento Monarchs in the 2008 WNBA draft. As a rookie, Harper played in 34 games while making one start and put up 5.5 points and four rebounds before starting in 11 games the following season. Harper also played professionally overseas in Turkey, Italy, and Russia. So what are they saying about Laura Harper? Cam Newbauer, University of Florida women's basketball head coach. We are so proud and excited for Laura as she is a rising star in women's college basketball. Her energy and passion for teaching young women the game of basketball is infectious. After such an accomplished career as a player, she has really demonstrated a great ability to connect and relate with young ladies. We are looking forward to watching Coach Harper lead a successful program in Baltimore. Jennifer Rosati, team president of WNBA's Connecticut Sun. I'm happy for Laura and her opportunity to lead the women's basketball team at Coppin State. She has been part of successful programs in her career and has played at the highest level. Her players will benefit from having a role model that is hardworking and driven. We wish her the very best as her neighbor in the DMV. And Brenda Freeze, University of Maryland women's basketball head coach. Coppin State is getting one of the most passionate people we've ever had in our program. I'm thrilled for her and for our local community. She will be great for the players at Coppin because she fully understands what it takes to be successful. Laura is a fun person who makes friends easily. We had a great player-coach relationship at Maryland, and I think she will model that. She's also well-connected in both our area and Philadelphia, which should serve her well in building the program. A lot of people will want to help her be successful, I'm excited to see them play and see her take this next step. So there you have the layout for a future guest of mine in the Coach's Corner, which I call this my abbreviated Coach's Corner because I'm highlighting the coach that is Laura Harper. And and some quick news, because at the time of that news clip, it was talking about how many wins they have on the season and how that equal what they've totaled in three years well Coppin State women's basketball had a game today against South Carolina State and the results Coppin State 80 South Carolina State 55 congratulations coach on a well fought victory looking forward to having you on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast well, I have had fun bringing you this podcast. Hope you have had fun riding along your train, going up and down the tracks. Uh, I will have a, another segment, another podcast coming out soon. So stay tuned. Keep your tickets because they are reusable. I hope you once again. Hope you have enjoyed this presentation of the A-Train Sports Talk podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I am now pulling this train into the station. So until next time, 
have a great evening. Be blessed. Take it this far What do I know?